I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 134 in which it's just snake bit. And I'm recording this episode on, I think it's Wednesday, November 13th, 2013. Um, although if you are like me, you could be listening to this just about any time within the next three or four years. I, I so rarely listen to podcasts when they're actually posted. But if it's important to you, you can imagine that you are sitting with me in my home on Wednesday evening on November 13th, and it's just about 6 o'clock p.m., cold, snowy, blustery, icy outside. Does that give us an appropriate setting? <laughs> I guess so. I want to say welcome to everybody who is listening to this episode. If uh, you're not listening to this episode, you're not hearing me say welcome. I guess that just makes all sorts of sense. I want to say thank you to uh, to all of you for listening. Um, thank you to anybody who is a new listener, and thank you especially to those of you who have stuck with me through thick and thin, mostly thin lately. Um, I think I've already told you when I'm recording this, I'm sorry I'm a little flustered because I didn't actually think I was going to sit down right now and record a podcast episode. I actually thought I was going to the gym, and then I looked at the clock and realized how dang late it had gotten. Um... And unfortunately, I, I have this sort of magic zone of when I can get to the gym and then when I can't. And I worked too late and ended up in the zone in which I couldn't get to the gym. But I can probably pull off a podcast episode um, before my evening moves on to other things. So we're going to give this a shot. I am also um, downloading some Windows updates while I'm doing this. I've never actually recorded a podcast episode while Windows was doing other things in the background, so hopefully that will not end badly. I'm going to begin with a few announcements, and then I'll give you some Sandy update, and I do actually have content tonight. That's just a wonderful thing. I have a brief book review, and then I'm going to tell you about where I'm at with my quilting projects as well, and maybe there will be some lessons to learn in there. And then, of course, we'll do some listener feedback. So my first announcement is um, to remind you all of the Kiva giveaway. And again, that was, I believe, Maureen's suggestion that anybody who uh, chooses to join the Quilting for the Rest of Us team in Kiva will be eligible to be have their name entered into a drawing. I still haven't entirely decided what I'm going to give away. I think I mentioned in the past it might be some hand dyes. It could still be some hand dyes. And I believe I mentioned in the past, I should probably have written these things down. I think I mentioned that I would run it through the end of November. So um, I did check a couple of days ago, and I do have one new member. So thank you very much to Judy for joining for the, the Quilting for the Rest of Us team on Kiva. Thank you also to Jennifer Francis, Colleen, Anne, Barbara, Holly, and Maureen for being members for some time. Um, if you're a new listener or if you didn't catch the episode where I first talked about the Kiva giveaway that Maureen suggested, um, I'm not going to talk about Kiva now because I've already done that. But if you're unfamiliar with it, just go to Kiva.org, K as in kitten, I, V as in Victor, A, dot org, and you'll learn all about it there. Um, 
And I think that's all I have to say about that. Um, coming up, of course, here in the United States, it'll be Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks. There have already been questions raised about the Black Friday sew-in and whether or not I was going to be hosting it this year. I had every intention of hosting it. Now, to be honest, I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to participate, um, although I certainly am going to try. Here's the deal. Um, my husband's two brothers from California are coming into town for Thanksgiving, um, and they're actually going to be here the whole week. They come in like the Friday before, and then they leave, I don't know, the Sunday or Monday after Thanksgiving. So they're here for quite a while. My in-laws, my husband's parents, had for many years been flying out to California, uh, to go to their house for Thanksgiving, and then they spent Christmas here with us. But um, my father-in-law has gotten to a point where traveling is, has gotten very difficult for him. So uh, when we knew that mom and dad were going to be home, I had invited them to our house for Thanksgiving. And we have, uh, my husband's got another brother and his family here in, the, in town. So we had invited them all over for Thanksgiving. And then um, within a day or two after that, we found out that the whole California crew was since mom and dad couldn't go out there, they had decided they were going to come here. So I have 18 people coming over for thanks. Well, um, 14 people in addition to my own family will be here for Thanksgiving Day, uh, which I'm really, I love hosting Thanksgiving. I really do love hosting Thanksgiving. Um, and they're a very helpful bunch. And in fact, <laughs> you know how sometimes people can be just a little too helpful? Well, that, <laughs> they, they, um, they are sometimes overbearing in their helpfulness, and they are fun. I, I cannot complain. I have a great relationship with my in-laws. I'm very fortunate that way. I know not everybody does. I really love my in-law family. Um, but, you know, we've talked about me being an introvert before on this podcast. <laughs> oh, let's just say my husband's family is, is very, very happy in a very loud way. <laughs> They're, they're an exuberant people. And, you know, I love being around them and I, I just need to sleep for like three days. <laughs> so I'm not only am I not positive what kind of shape I'm going to be in by Friday, whether I'm going to feel like talking to anybody, even online, I'm actually not even sure I'm, I'm going to be able to be home that whole day because with the family in from out of town, um, again, remember the exuberance thing. They like to seemingly suck every possible moment of experience out of every moment that they're together. And so there's just one family event after another, after another. I'm hoping that since we are hosting Thanksgiving here on Thursday, that they will um, give me, you know, they'll cut me some slack on Friday. <laughs> Maybe I won't have to go anywhere, even if they've got something going on. And yes, I surely could just say, no, I think I'm just going to stay home. But, you know, I like seeing them too. And so it's just going to be a matter of kind of finding out what's going on when the day comes. I suspect, kind of knowing what our usual habits are, um, I suspect there won't be anything going on during the day and only at night. But all of that still means I don't feel like I should commit to being the host, capital H, for the Black Friday sew-in. Um, I do know Pam has offered to do it, and that is fantastic. So um, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn to say that Pam of Hip to Be a Square podcast might be hosting the Black Friday sew-in. I can say, however, um, that y'all are pretty good at chatting amongst yourselves. So um, even if there doesn't end up being an official host, I think there is still a Black Friday sew-in. It is bigger than any of us individuals. <laughs> so it will exist regardless. Um, 
whatever that means. <laughs> so basically, go forth and have a Black Friday sew-in, whether or not I'm able to be with you. It'll be great. Um, so if Pam does end up hosting it, keep uh, keep tuned to her podcast, keep tuned to her blog, and see whether she puts in any special plans for that day. Otherwise, everybody just uh, chat with each other. Um, for those of you who are new and perhaps not from the United States, Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving. Traditionally, it's called Black Friday because it is the day that all the retail stores end up in the black, fiscally, uh, because they have all these huge sales. It's kind of the official kickoff to the holiday shopping season. However, I do have a bone to pick. It, well, as you know, the reason I even started Black Friday sewing is because I hate Black Friday. I refuse to step foot out of my house. I refuse to go anywhere near the mobs and the mayhem. Um, but it's actually, you know, it's gotten worse than that because the mobs and the mayhem have gotten worse. It's it's just atrocious, I think, sometimes the way some people, not everybody, certainly a lot of people go out and have fun. There, I have a friend of mine who loves Black Friday. She gets a real charge out of Black Friday. She and her sister make it kind of an event. Um, I would rather have all of my teeth pulled, <laughs> frankly, without Novocaine than to participate ever in Black Friday. Um but my son works retail and my real bone to pick now is he is not going to be able to have Thanksgiving dinner with us because he has to be in his dang store because they're starting their Black Friday sales on Thursday afternoon. And that to me just makes me sick. It just, oh, I just get angry if you could tell suddenly <laughs> and suddenly this podcast episode goes sideways let me rein it back in <laughs> let me pull it back let me get in my happy place i will no longer talk about black friday okay back to happy thoughts um scrapitude i do have the next step for scrapitude we got it at our guild meeting last night I have the instructions. Um, they're actually fairly straightforward. I do also have it on video. And in fact, I, I believe I haven't watched it yet. Just finished uploading it to my Dropbox off of my phone. I think it's probably a fairly entertaining video because this time, rather than taking Charlotte apart in a separate room and having her kind of go through it just for me in the video, I just videoed her giving the clue to my guild. So you will hear all of the wonderful interplay that ensued <laughs> if it came out i hope it came out otherwise i'm gonna to have to figure something else out um so anyway you will actually be you know present in part of my guild meeting virtually so that was kind of fun but i will hopefully be able to get that up tonight i hope um if not tonight tomorrow night but right now my emphasis was trying to get a podcast episode done now speaking of this podcast i know that we have all been, shall I say, um, pretending together. We've been engaged in a bit of a farce that this podcast is actually a weekly podcast. <laughs> it, it has not been a weekly podcast for some time. I can't even begin to tell you when the last time was that I actually po posted a few in a week. It used to be a weekly podcast. I used to be able to pretty well stick to that, except for certain times of the year. Um, I am actually starting to ponder going to officially going to a bi-weekly podcast or every three weeks, although that feels very awkward and unbalanced to me. I tend to be a two or a four week kind of person. That's just me. 
thinking about maybe going to once a month, but that doesn't feel like quite often enough. I'm, I'm really trying to think this through. And the reason is, um, it is my work life. It's, it, it's very intense. I'm not traveling as much now as I was, but the stuff I'm involved in on a day-to-day -day basis requires just about every last ounce of my brain power. And, and don't get me wrong, I love that. I'm actually much happier in my job now in these last few weeks and some of the things that have changed and some of the directions we're taking for the future than I've been in a while. But it's intense. I just, I get to the end of every day and I'm happy with what I've done. I feel overwhelmed with what I still have left to do and I can barely put two sensical sentences together. <laughs> it's just, it is... Um, it's it's kind of been like that for a while, and I kept feeling like, well, when I just get through this thing or when I just get through that next thing, I kept having these thoughts that somehow it would kind of ease up. And I've finally realized that day is unlikely to come anytime soon. <laughs> so I have been, um, oh, I, it, give me like three minutes, maybe five, maybe a little longer, but hopefully not much longer, to, to talk to you about what I've been teaching myself briefly. I mean, to talk briefly about what I've teaching, been teaching myself over a very long time. Um, the last year or so, I've really been working through some personality traits of myself that, while good on the outside, tend to make me unhealthy <laughs> in some ways. I tend to be kind of an all-or-nothing sort of person. Uh, like in my volunteer life, when I volunteer to do something, I am all in. Um, I don't know how to do things halfway. I don't know how to say no to some things and yes to some other things, but then no again later. I'm I'm either all yes or all no. Um, my travel schedule in 2012 really forced the issue, and I did have to buy, uh, bow out of pretty much all of the volunteer stuff I was doing um, because I was just on the road too much. And I was constantly feeling guilty about what I wasn't getting done. If I was spending you know, putting a lot of time and energy into work, I was feeling guilty about my volunteer stuff and my family life. If I was focusing on my family life, I was feeling guilty about volunteer stuff and work. If I was focusing on work I, or volunteer stuff, I was feeling guilty. You know, you get the picture. Um, I think a lot of us, I think, you know, I think men do this too. I know my husband certainly does. Um, that there's just this sense of we should all be doing more than what we're actually doing, and we all feel this kind of residual guilt about all the stuff we're not doing. So <laughs> it's just kind of this constant state of affairs. Um, but when I stopped traveling, I could have easily picked all that back up again, but I began to realize that I had not been really taking care of myself, and I was frankly just tired of feeling guilty about stuff. So I decided to, to stay out of everything for a while. I kind of I put myself on what I referred to as a sabbatical from volunteering. I was on a sabbatical pretty much from everything except work, family, and quilting. And even work, I was really kind of as best I could trying to work on balance. Um, now, that was very difficult last spring just because of the nature of what we had going on last spring. Um, but this fall, I'm really trying to put some habits and and things into place that help me stay more balanced in work for as intense as everything is. Um, and then I, I've really been kind of working on, as, as I said to my husband and to my pastor, I actually had the same conversation with my pastor. I said, I am 48 years old and I think I'm finally learning how to be half-assed. <laughs> it really it comes down to that. 
I am really working at learning how to do something halfway. Um, now, that doesn't mean half-ass in terms of I don't care about the result. I hold myself to high standards. Whatever I do, I'm going to try to do it really well. Recent quilt issues notwithstanding. Um, but, in, you know, in terms of my volunteer life, things that really matter, things that involve other people and have impact on other people, I really try to give it my all. But what I'm trying to learn is that when I do volunteer for something, I can volunteer for part of something, but not necessarily all of it. And to really critically assess what I'm saying yes to. And so what I'm working on now is trying to come up with what are my personal criteria? What are What's a list of three or four questions I could ask myself about any volunteer opportunity that might come my way that I would have to be able to answer yes to those questions before I said yes to that opportunity. Um, just in the last week or so, I have picked up some things again that I used to do and had been kind of gone away from. But mostly they have to do with interpersonal relationships. Um, when I had been volunteering with uh, refugee resettlement and with refugee families in our community, I had developed very close relationships with three or four of those families. Um, and when I was traveling, I had to kind of pull back from how much I was visiting the families and how much I was staying in touch with them. I I was still in touch with them through email and Facebook and such, but wasn't getting over to their house. And as I kind of went into the sabbatical mode, I realized how much I really, really missed that. And so just in this last week, I've set up appointments and I've had coffee a couple times and stuff, and I'm getting back into that. And that feels really, really good. So I do enjoy that. Um, I, I referenced that I talked to my pastor, but par because part of this was I volunteered a lot at church and I needed him to know why I wasn't volunteering anymore. He's a new pastor and me going on my sabbatical kind of coincided with his, him coming and I didn't want him to think it was him. <laughs> it really isn't. I like him a lot. I think he's a great pastor for our church. Um, it was just a, you know, a, a strange coincidence of timing. Um, but he's a very understanding guy and certainly understands, you know, busyness and, and that kind of thing. And so he helped me kind of think through some approaches I might take to different situations going on. So that was a helpful conversation as well. So all of that's to say that one of the things I have been thinking about is my social networking life, my podcast, my blogging, um, the amount of time I spend on, on Twitter and Facebook and all of that. And there are likely, you're going to be noticing some some changes, whether or not they're intentional changes on my part or whether I just start respecting my own energy levels. Um, and that's a piece I'm just really starting to understand as much of what I do for work. It's not just a matter of time. It is a matter of emotional energy and social energy. <laughs> you know, on days when I'm really expending myself, when I get to the end of a workday, I need to just not expend myself anymore in any way. So that's that's all an explanation just to say, um, I do think I'm going to try to be much more intentional about scheduling my podcasts out, but it probably won't be weekly. Um, but I do really enjoy doing this podcast. Don't I, I need you to know that I am not pod fading. And if a day comes and it, it might well come, you know, life changes for all of us. If the day ever comes that I do decide to stop podcasting, I will let you know I won't just disappear unless I get hit by a bus, but that's a whole other issue. Let's not even go there. So that's, that's the thing. If you don't hear from me a while on the podcast front, just understand you'll hear from me again. You know, I really do appreciate several of you have contacted me to say how much you missed the podcast. And I really do appreciate that. It's always nice to be missed. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not saying don't do that. You know, let me know you miss me. <laughs> it's, 
good to hear. Um, but just also don't worry. I won't pod fade. I give you that promise. If I decide to stop podcasting, I will post an episode to let you know that I'm doing that. Okay, so Sandy update. Um, I was actually kind of surprised to see how long it had been since my last episode. Um, but October just, it got away from me on several fronts. And some of that was just the intensity of my work life. Um, I had a lot going on during that month that just took every, like I said, every last ounce of my brain <laughs> and most of the rest of me to get done. Um, I did have a few days of vacation with my husband in there for our 26th anniversary which was wonderful. I guess I will still keep him. Um, it's We have a great marriage and a lot of fun together, so we always have fun traveling, and we try to do that as much as we can. Um, I was gone with him for about four or five days. I was home for two days, and then I was at business meetings for a week. Um, and actually, my business meetings were like three different back-to-back -back meetings all in once, uh, which is always tiring, but they're good. I, I love the people I work with. Um, some really good stuff happened. In some cases, some emotional stuff. We are, like most organizations, we're in a time of transition, and transition can be very painful. Um, and there was some pain during these meetings, but it ended up in a really good place, I think, and some good directions for the future. Um, so that's very helpful, hopeful. And like I said, I'm, I'm really excited about a lot of the projects that I've got in front of me now for the next um, year as intense as they are, they're good stuff, good stuff that I'm really enjoying being involved with. Um, and then I got home from my business meetings. I had a few days between, and then I had an online, an online event for a week, um, the first week in November. And, you know, I never think of that as being travel because I'm not out of town. I'm sleeping in my own bed. I'm working in my home office, but I might, I should think of it as being out of town because, um, these week-long events, I had four of them in 2014. So that's why a couple of you said, boy, it sounds like you've got a lot of these. Well, we did. We had four of them in 2014. I told the board that turned out to be a little aggressive. Could we cut it back? <laughs> and so we're only doing two of them in 2000. Um, I'm sorry. We had four in 2013. We're only going to do two in 2014. Um, they are what we call a virtual mission encounter. And they're my own darn fault because it was my idea in the first place uh, years ago when we did the first one. Uh, we do mission trips as an organization, and this is sort of our answer to the fact that a lot of people can't afford the time or the money to be gone the length of time it takes to go on a mission trip to another country or have a significant mission experience here in the U.S. or Puerto Rico. Um, so we started doing these virtual mission encounters, and they last, they're a Monday to Friday event, and they involve daily activity emails on whatever the theme of the event is, and then an evening conference call every night. And the nature of being a national organization is that in order to do a conference call with all of these folks who are all, you know, they're all volunteers, they all have other jobs if they're working, um, we have to have them at 9 o'clock at night Eastern time <laughs> in order to have them scheduled at 6 o'clock uh, Pacific time, hopefully in time for people on that end of the country to be able to get home from work in time to do them. So that means... You know, I did a lot of them in my pajamas this time because these are not video calls, um, which is nice. I think eventually we're going to get to the point where they're probably video calls and then I'll need to be dressed more nicely. Um, but they go from 9 to 10 o'clock p.m. my time and then I've got all this kind of cleanup because I'm the moderator on all the calls and we record the calls and then I've got to get calls posted and all that kind of stuff. So I wasn't getting to bed until um, 11 o'clock and then it takes two hours for my brain to turn off. <laughs> 
So I was not getting a lot of sleep that week. And it's, it's all I could do to, you know, I just kind of kept plugging away and plugging away. My supervisor is wonderful about work-life balance stuff. And she has said when we do these events, even though I'm not traveling, I still, she gives me, she lets me do a comp day. Or she said I can make a choice. I can either take like a couple of hours every day during the event to make up for the couple of hours I'm working at night or to save up, you know, just work my regular work week and then take a, a full day comp day sometime, you know, the next week or whenever. And I've done it both ways. Um, the last couple of times I just, during the week that the event was going on, I had so many other deadlines, so much else going on. It would have been really hard for me to carve a couple days away each day. So I did just take a day off, um, as soon as the event was over. Well, the following Monday. Um, so that's, you know, where I was and why I wasn't really present online at all. In October, I did get a little bit of hand dyeing done. I, I did post this on my blog, so I won't talk about it as much. Um, the, the scarves, I mentioned in the blog post that I had done some sample scarves because I'm going to be hand dyeing a bunch of scarves for one of our um, organization's events next September. And I had done, we are, we have a, signature color which is purple and so I had done two purple scarves one was silk and one was cotton and I liked the silk one better surprisingly the woman who um, is kind of coordinating this event I brought the samples to her so she could pick and she actually picked the one I didn't like as much which so it's a good thing I did samples because I would have picked the other one um, and actually it's easier to dye the one she picked the cotton one and it's easier to dye cotton. I, can, I mean, I can dye uh, silk and cotton the same way, but the dyes I use and the process I use is just a little more reliable when it comes to cotton. Um, so anyway, now I know what I'm going to do um, in that regard over the next, I have to do, I think, 50-ish of them, although I'm going to hold off. I'm going to try to do them a little bit at a time, but we're going to give one to each person who registers for the event. So I'm going to wait to really dye most of them until I know how many people we actually have registered for the event. Um, and you also saw on my blog, if you're a blog follower, that um, one of the other things that happened in October was that our guild did lose one of our members, Sue Reynolds. Um, she really was just a really, really neat person. And, you know, the sad thing is a lot of times people, if they're not like your best friend or a family member, a lot of times we don't really know everything a person does until they're gone and you start hearing all these stories and and you see all this range of people that kind of gather around her family in their time of loss and it was incredible we went to um she had chosen not to have a public um funeral memorial service she that was just a private affair but the night before they did sort of an open house calling hours kind of thing at the funeral home and I went with three of my guild friends. And when we got to the parking lot, there was it was hard to find a parking place. And the line went out the door. And it sort of, I mean, they didn't actually have a snake set up, you know, the, the posts with the ribbons in them to control crowds. They didn't have those set up, but we were snaking through the inside of the funeral home to get into um, where the family was. Uh, she, they did not have her there. They did not have... She had, I don't even know whether she had been cremated or not. She was not there, but they had photos there and they had a couple of her quilts were there and just some little symbols on a table. But um, 
there had to have been, there were several hundred people there, I'm sure. We waited in line probably 45 minutes, all in, um, to go through the line, and, and there were a lot of people still coming in after we went. It was just wonderful to see. And as we were standing in line, we you know, people, well, my more extroverted friends that I was with were kind of chatting up with the, the people standing around. And so how did you know, Sue? How did you know the family? And to to learn the extent to which Sue had been involved in her community was just an incredible thing. Um, Follow-up to that, which was not on the blog, last night was our first guild meeting without Sue. First time we had been together as a guild since her passing. And it, it was an awkward night to begin with, but um, we did finally, we had a, a time of memory and a time of prayer, and a lot of people cried and a lot of people laughed, and then we were kind of able to gather together and move on. But one of the things we talked about was how many things she had gotten us involved in, in terms of donations uh, and charity projects and things. And and I joked at one point that, you know, she kept having us make all this stuff and none of us even were always really clear where it was going to, but we trusted her and we knew she was going to get it to where it was needed. So we kept making it and giving it to her, you know, it was really wonderful. So um, she will be missed. She has uh, really done some wonderful things for our guild and um, we're going to keep them going. We've, we had some conversation last night about who gets to do what to try to keep up some of these relationships. Um, so that's been my life update. Let me get to my uh, book review. And this actually has something to do with my, my life update. While I was at my business meetings with, my, um, with our national board in October, uh, they surprised me with a celebration that did involve cake. Uh, it, the, 2013 is the 20th anniversary of my ordination. I was actually ordained in April, but um, the, the so they they gave me a, a wonderful little party at the end of one of the sessions and um like i said cake which is always good um and one of the women that i have worked with now a couple of times over the years um she they, well they all know i'm a quilter and, and she knows me quite well and so she gave me um as a gift the book quilt it with love the project linus story and this is by mary balagna and carol babbitt um, who are the National Vice President and President of Project Linus. I had seen this book in magazines. I'd seen it in stores. I hadn't ever really picked it up to really go through it. So the minute she gave it to me, I, I spent, you know, every chance I got after meetings in the evening and stuff, I was sitting and reading through it. Excuse me, I'm just grabbing it now so I can look at it. It's 20-plus um, quilt patterns and stories to warm your heart. And I should mention, a portion of the proceeds from the book go to Project Linus. So just by buying the book here, supporting Project Linus. Um, there are 20, as it says, 20 quilt patterns. I believe they're all quilts. I'm doing a quick flip through here. I don't remember seeing anything else in there. Um, some of the quilts, they're all obviously kid-oriented. Some of them have pockets. Some of them have like little houses with flaps for the windows that you pull up and you can see things in the windows behind them. Some of them are, are more kind of straightforward quilt designs. Um, there's a Bargello in here. There's a couple of things with variations on nine patches. There's some pinwheels things. But then there's also some that have like letters of the alphabet and animal appliques and a few things with pockets. You know, there's there's several very cute um, patterns in here. I don't know that I would say the patterns look like, you know, the kind of thing you can whip up in an hour and a half. There might be a couple in here that are, but most of them, you know, they're, they're going to take you a little more time to put in. Um, but that's, they're not also overly complex. 
but they would definitely be wonderful little quilt of joy for people who are going through some tough times. For me, however, the the real pro to this book is not really the quilt patterns. I mean, obviously, if you're making a quilt for baby, there's any number of books out there that give you ideas. There's no reason you would have to have this book to make Project Linus quilts. However, what this book has, which is just really sweet, in some cases heartbreaking, um, but also hopeful, and like I said, just very sweet, it has sidebars. It does have the, you know, the story of the start of Project Linus and then how these two themselves got involved. They're not the original founders, but they are now the president and, Nash and vice president now. Um, but then the sidebars on the projects are stories of um, their letters from people who received quilts. Their stories behind a making of a quilt. Um, let me see if I can find you one here. Okay. Dear Project Linus, thank you for my new blanket. I love it. At first I fainted on the playground at school. Then people put me in a wheelchair and they brought me to the nurse's office. Then before I knew it, I was in an ambulance. They put me in a stretcher and put very, very sticky stickers and did something. I forgot what. Then took my blood for I don't know about an hour or an hour and a half. Then they did a CAT scan and the results came back normal. Then they brought me back to my room in the hospital. Then it felt like they burned my blood and then froze it two times. And I made a weird face when it felt like they burned my blood. And my mom wished she had the camera, but she didn't because she had just come from the mall. Then when they were done and we were going out of the hospital, they gave me a light whistle and your blanket because they have you pick a blanket if you're a patient. Then we went home very, 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 very happy because of all of you. Thank you, Michael, eight years old. Um, they have, I, I could go through and I could read you every story in here. That was one of the happier ones. Um, there were several that just had much more difficult stories. Um, but in every one, you know, it, it just shows the, the gift of the quilt brought such light and joy to people who were in such scary, scary situations. Um, it's it's really, that to me was wonderful. You know, I don't know that I would ever make any of the projects in this book. I certainly might. But I'm going to definitely hang on to this book, not only because it was a gift from a friend for a significant um, celebration in my life, but uh, because those stories, I could see myself kind of going back and, and looking at those stories again. One other note, there is an, uh, something in the beginning of the book, and I, I couldn't find it again when I went back to look for it, said something about some of the patterns being... Um, pre-cut friendly. Don't buy this as a book with pre-cut friendly patterns. There's only one pattern that I was able to locate quickly that did seem to have, uh, that even mentioned jelly rolls as <laughs> most of them are all odd sized pieces. So even if you started with pre-cuts, you're having to cut them all down anyway. So it's not really a pre-cut friendly book. It's certainly a stash friendly book. Certainly, a um, you know, you don't need a lot of fabric because these are child size quilts. Um, but if you're looking for, you know, a fat quarter book, this is not a fat quarter book, but you could certainly use fat quarters in making them. Um, so that's just the one side note. But other than that, it is, it's a nicely done book. It's nicely laid out. I can't speak for how good the pattern, how well the patterns are written because I'm not, I haven't made any of them. Um, but it is definitely something worth checking out. And again, when you buy the book, the proceeds, a portion of the proceeds do go to Project Lineups itself. So you're um, helping to support just a really wonderful project. Um, I'm not going to tell you, if you're not familiar with what Project Linus is, I'm not going to take time out of this episode to tell you. You can just Google it. Um, it's a very well-known national quilting, well, 
I don't know if they do other, do they do knit blankets, crocheted afghans, things like that? I know some of you have done Project Line of Stuff. You've told me about it in the past. So if they do things other than quilting, let me know. Um, post a comment on the show notes this episode so other folks can know as well. But that was a really wonderful book. So that's my book review. Let me tell you about the snake bit baby quilt. <laughs> that's hence the title of this episode. Um, remember way back in my last episode when I talked about the baby quilt I was making, which was the Jacob's Ladder design that ended up with all sorts of puckers on the back. And then I cut it down and I cut it down trying to cut those puckers out and ended up having to trash the whole thing. And so I used the scraps and I did a disappearing nine patch and had a, a second baby quilt that I was referring to then as baby quilt remix. Um, and the second version was going swimmingly, but disappearing nine patches are a whole lot of fun. I talked about those, raved about them, I believe, in my last episode. Um, they're a lot of fun if you haven't done one. They're a hoot. But um, the second version went swimmingly. But then I decided to try to do the binding a different way than I normally do. And it's one that, you know, it's the way I've heard people say, you know, I think it's supposedly the way you're kind of supposed to do them. Um, very well-respected quilt celebrities I know do it this way not saying they're not trying to be quilt policey about it, but they're, they, I think, well, here, okay, so let me describe the difference. The way I have always done my bindings is I trim everything down. I trim all the batting and backing off when I'm done quilting it, so it's all a clean edge, and then I sew the binding onto that clean edge, so that I've got that clear, I use my quarter-inch foot, and I, I've got that clear quarter-inch edge. Um, I've done it that way for, you know, 15 years. It's worked beautifully for me. Well, you know, every now and then I am willing to learn a new way to do something. And what I what I understand is that if you don't cut everything down, so if your backing and batting is still sticking out beyond your border, um, and then you put the binding on, you sew the binding on the top that way, and then trim it down, I think it's supposed to keep your borders from turning out as wavy. But here's the thing. <laughs> what I didn't think through before I started to do it, which was um, a testament to how overtired I was at the time and how fast I was just trying to get this sucker done at that point. I have a quarter inch foot with a flange. Um, you know, that little lip of metal that comes down on the edge that's supposed to ride right along that quarter inch. Um, it's the AccuFeed foot on my Janome. Those of you who have the Janome with the AccuFeed, it's a fantastic foot to have if you don't already have it. Um, but here's the thing, that flange doesn't play nice with batting. And I should, you know, I should have known, of course, of course it wouldn't. Um, and I, I actually got about halfway through the first side without having it snag at all. So I wasn't even really worried about it. It was just going along. And then all of a sudden it started snagging and snagging and snagging. And I just did not want to have to change horses midstream and go to a different foot and then figure out, you know, how am I going to line this up with the quarter inch and all that kind of stuff. I just was like, no, I'm just going to keep working along. So I just worked slower. And whenever it started kind of getting caught, I would just push it out of the way and lift up the presser foot and get the batting out of the way and keep moving. So it took me forever, for stinking ever, to get the binding on the front. And it did, um, oh, and here's the other kind of ironic part. I had decided not to do the binding completely by machine because I've often, I still have problems. I, I do it beautifully along the edges. I still have problems in the corners. And I was like, you know, at this point, I just want this one to finish nice. So I was doing that part the way I always did. 
I, it would have been better to just do it by machine. So anyway, there were some places where it had kind of wobbled a little bit where it had gotten stuck in the batting and pulled it off line. But I'm figuring, okay, I'm just going to be hand sewing it across the top anyway. It doesn't really matter. You know, nobody will see that. So I kept going and I finally finished it, got the binding all put on there. Then I went to trim up the backing and the batting and get it all off of there. And it was all beautiful until <laughs> this is really, it truly is a snake bit baby quilt. I realized when I was then, I like to press the binding out to make it easier to pull across the back and, and sew on the back. And so I'm pressing the binding out after I've got it all sewn on and everything's trimmed down. And I realized somehow I had sliced through a couple of the corners. And now it looks fine on the front, but when you pull the binding across to the back, instead of having that nice little cup in the miter that just kind of folds over the corner, I have a slice and two pieces of fabric coming down on the back so it's it's obviously something I'm gonna be able to fix with my hand sewing so I'm you know I'm not saying oh my gosh I've just ruined this and I'm gonna throw it out I'm I'm gonna work with it make it work and mail it but I can't tell you how much I just want this thing out of my life it's got to just get done and get in the mail because it's just you know I'm waiting for it to like set the whole house on fire at this point there's been so much wrong with the stinking baby quilt. Um, so here's here's what I want you to learn from my, my mistakes. First of all, don't work when you're overtired. Just, you know, put it aside. It's better that it's another month late. Um, second, even if you've been doing it wrong, but you've been doing it wrong for 15 years and it works for you, don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. You know, who cares if my borders are a little more wavy? My quilts are just extra friendly. <laughs> That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I should have just done that binding the way I've always done it and I would have been fine and it would have been done by now. Anyway, so that's that quilt, which is yes, still in process. Um, meanwhile, I did get started on my other niece's baby quilt and here's the funny thing. <laughs> She's now due this week. So of course I don't start her quilt until the week she's due and now I'm up against the gun. I did end up deciding to do yet another disappearing nine patch. I had thought about several other designs and I kept just telling myself it's a baby quilt, it's a baby quilt, it's a baby quilt. It's going to be completely ruined within about a year and a half. I want it to be, you know, I want it to be well loved and well used. Um, and so I decided a disappearing nine patch will look really impressive to people who don't know anything about quilting, you know. And the colors I used are, it's a uh, black and white and red and a lot of really fun, funky prints because my niece and her husband are fun and funky people. He's a graphic designer. She's a drama person. Um, and even though it's a disappearing nine patch, I arranged the blocks a little bit differently once they're all cut and moved them around. And it's, it looks like a completely different design. You wouldn't know it's the same basic idea as the other baby quilt. Um, so I've got that... I'm in the middle of piecing the top of it, but this one I'm just going to do everything the way I've always done it for 15 years, so it should go quite smoothly. So that's where I'm at with my quilty life and with everything else. And now it's time for listener feedback. Okay, I'm not going to be able to verbally respond to every comment, but I do have a couple I wanted to highlight. Gretchen emailed me in response to my last episode where I talked about all the pleats that ended up on the back of that quilt. Um, this is a great email, so I'm just going to read it to you. Um, I thought I would just share with you our church quilting bees solution to the backing pleats problem. 
Last year's quilt had a little bit of a problem with the basting process. Basically, everyone's back hurt, so we basted it less closely together than usual. And a couple of things got biased when we put it on the frame for quilting. So we started quilting in the center and worked our way down to one end, hand quilting of course, where we found the first pleat, or two, or three. Not good. We didn't have time to take anything out, so we just soldiered on, assuming we would think of something. I need to add here that one of the quilters in the bee was already calling it my quilt every time she came over to quilt, and she was not at all upset about the pleats. She thought they added character. When we had completed the quilt and took it off the frame, the pleats were not something we could just let go, no matter what the future owner was saying. Luckily, I had a fabric panel with several scripture verses on it, so I cut them apart and pressed the edges under, and we sewed them over the pleats. And suddenly, they were a design decision, which delighted several members of the congregation who felt that scripture was a wonderful addition to the quilt, especially the quilt's new owner, who even had a say in which verses we used. The moral of the story, this year's quilt went to a long armor for basting, but we will still have to add the verses because now they are expected. Gretchen loved the story. First of all, it made me feel a lot better to know that even you get pleats and quilts, even hand quilting. I was thinking that was just purely a machine quilting thing, so that made me feel better. Um, but I love the idea of you know, appliqueing part of a panel over the pleats. In my case, that wouldn't have worked because of the, the huge length of the pleats and where they were placed and stuff. I wouldn't have been able to do that, but that's a fantastic um, solution. So anybody else out there, remember that if you ever end up with pleats in the back of yours. And I especially love the fact that now everybody expects to have applique scriptures panels on the back of their quilts so you could pleat the heck out of them and nobody would ever know. So thank you very much for that. I really appreciated that story. Okay, and Carol emailed me to say, I wonder if you could share this idea on a podcast. I think it's a really good thing and different. I thought of you when I read it, not that you're going to have time to do it, but you could describe it to others. And the more quilters this idea reaches, the better. Thank you. And she provided a link to, and I'll try to remember to put this link on the, the show notes. Um, it's a blog by Regina B. Dunn.blogspot.com. And the, the link goes to a post she did about wheelchair, what does she call them? Uh, wheelchair art, essentially. And I'll just quickly read to you a little bit of, of um, Regina's blog post. Uh, she said, I have a friend, Margaret Loomis, in one of her quilt groups, uh, saw that Alzheimer patients were lined up in their wheelchairs in the hallways of their nursing home, and they sat with their heads down with no stimulation for several hours. To provide some interaction for them, she decided to make covers for their wheelchairs that had three-dimensional art so that they could reach out and touch the cover on the chair in front of theirs. She made sure that there were no embellishments on the covers that could be removed by the patients and put in their mouths like buttons, sequins, beads, etc., she also found out that patients with dementia and Alzheimer's can be disturbed by shiny things, so no glitter foils or shiny fabrics. She also made sure that the covers were comfortable on the side facing the back of the patient and that their machine washable. And then she gives pictures of some that um, her friend had made, and they were just, I mean, they're gorgeous works of art, beautiful art quilts. Um, and then uh, she said, uh, she in her blog post, she also gives um, some measurements, some instructions for how to put it together. And she says, of course, wheelchair art doesn't have to be as elaborate as Margaret's. Uh, one of our group made several covers that are blocks of traditional log cabins, and her covers are gorgeous. 
Um, she describes hers as being a bouquet of flowers that were fused. So there's a lot of ideas within it. So it's a, it is a fantastic idea. Um, and I would even say I have a friend who is in a wheelchair. She is not an Alzheimer's uh, patient. She has cerebral palsy. But wouldn't this be a cool thing for her to just have, you know, kind of a funky wheelchair? If she's got to live in the thing, it might as well be pretty. So I'm certainly going to bookmark that site myself. And thank you very much for Carol for lifting that up. And indeed, I am sharing the idea. So if any of you are interested in doing something like that, again, I will post the link in the show notes to this podcast. If I somehow blip and don't remember to do that, Carol, can you check the show notes? Make sure if I haven't done it, you post the link in a comment to um, the page so it gets out there one way or the other. And I want to say thank you to Linda for commenting. And I've got a bunch of new subscribers to um, the blog by email. So thank you to um, all of you. Unfortunately, your names don't appear easily in the email. I have to actually open up each one to see it. Um, but I really want to say thank you to all of those uh, who do subscribe to my blog by email, because that just is such an act of faith on your part. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. Um, I had a Scrapitude Linky, the second Scrapitude Linky, and this time I left the Linky open for a week. And of course, like the day after it finally closed, I had two people say, oh, I missed your Linky. Um, but I want to say thank you to Pam and to um, Marianne, Mayor who both added their linkies for their progress on Scrapitude. So make sure you go back and find my blog post. Um, uh, I think it was October 31st or thereabouts that I posted it, which has the linkies and check out their progress as well. And a couple of, the couple of people who missed the linky did post links to their um, blogs in their comments. So um, as I said, thank you to Jay and Garden Pat, who did also um, post to the Scrapitude Progress. And Garden Pat, by the way, also watches Midsummer Murders. You know what I just found out, though? There's been like three or four new seasons, but they're not on Netflix. So I've got to figure out Tanisha, Crafty Garden Mom. She always has some sort of bootleg website she goes to <laughs> to watch the BBC stuff. So if you know how I can get those newer seasons of Midsummer Murders, that would be great because I've now been through the old, you know, what's on Netflix two, maybe even three times. Saskia, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, is trying to, she just decided to join us and she's trying to catch up on Scrapitude. The good news I can give to all of you is we got Clue 3 this month in November. Um, I'm going to be posting that again, like I said, hopefully later tonight. But then we're not getting a clue in December. And then in January, we'll start putting the blocks together. So you do have some time to catch up. Um, our guild voted to do it that way because, you know, December is just a very busy month. So we've all got a couple of months to catch up. If you um, have not started Scrapitude yet, that gives you time to do it. My guild meetings are in the middle of the month. They're the second Tuesday of every month. So we're not going to be getting the next clue until the middle of January. So plenty of time. And in fact, I believe I've heard rumor that there is a Black Friday sew-in <laughs> that you could maybe do some Scrapitude stuff. And um, I will likely be doing my day after Christmas Boxing Day sew-in because that day I don't have anything going on. I know that already. Um, so you've got a couple of sew-in days that you could maybe catch up on Scrapitude. I want to also say thank you to Pratima, or Pratima, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, I, I'm not sure, and Lori, um, and to Terry and Marie, Marie's from my guild, 
who all posted on my Memories of Sue blog post, and indeed she was a wonderful person. And in fact, I got another email today. I'm not going to read it because it did feel a little more personal, but from a listener who said she kept going back, even though she didn't know Sue, she kept going back and rereading that post because Sue seemed like just such a wonderful person. And that was one of the best tributes I could hear. So the person who did email me that today, thank you very much. I enjoyed hearing that. Um, Thank you to Amy and Jackie on posting about my hand dyeing results. Um, Boy, that feels like that was so long ago (laughs) that I was actually even in my basement. I haven't been in my basement for a while. Um, I want to say, uh, let me read Jackie's comment um, on episode 133, in which I have a story of a heartbreak and a rotary cutter. She said, a few thoughts. I'm glad I'm not the only one that has said enough is enough and thrown out a project. I am one to use every last scrap, but there comes a time when it's time to let go. Also, while I struggle with wasting fabric, it really wasn't wasted. It was an experience with learning and moving forward worth the expense. Love that you are candid, Jackie. (laughs) So, So yes, Jackie, you're certainly not the only one. And if I can make other people feel better about their goofs and mess ups, that's what my tagline is, then I've done my job. Um, and in fact, uh, Carol did say that once again, you have lived up to your podcast intro. Thank you for sharing. Um, Kathleen said they went to Niagara Falls 20 years ago, an amazing experience. We are overdue for another visit. Certainly, certainly, certainly. Um, Niagara Falls is a beautiful place. And Kati, who also said belated anniversary, you're both lucky to have found each other and still growing strong, which is very true. Um, Daisy <laughs> Daisy said she had the post about my Band Book Weeks quilt open in my browser for close to a month now because she wanted to leave a comment. Boy, I have to say, Daisy, more power to you. I can't stand stuff hanging around that, <laughs> that long. If, if I haven't left a comment immediately, I usually bag it and move on. So thank you for um, having that stick-to-itiveness and still leaving that comment, even if a few weeks later. Um, thank you for your very nice comments about that as well. And thank you to Francine, who commented on my blog post in which I'm AWOL, and she said, by the way, you mentioned a crescent-shaped seam ripper in your last podcast you're no longer able to get. Check out Havel's, or Havel's, I want to pronounce it Havel, so I'm going to pronounce it Havel, sewing, who sell primarily sharp stuff. And I did go to the website. Um, I did find it, Francine, and I've seen that seam ripper before. It looks like a surgical scalpel. and I'm definitely going to order it. I don't think I placed an order that that night. I did have it in my basket. Maybe I did. I might have one coming to me. <laughs> I don't remember now. Um, but I love those seam rippers. What they are, for those of you who don't, don't know, they're a seam ripper that, honestly, it looks more like a scalpel. It looks like a knife. And it's they're very, very sharp. And you just sort of tap the edge of it on the um, on the thread, and it slices it right through. They are fantastic for paper piecing. They work much better than a standard seam ripper, so I can't recommend them enough. And the one from Havel, I, I, if I did order it, I can't wait to get it because it it's really looks like it's going to be a wonderful thing. So thank you for that reference. I immediately put it to work. Um, thank you also to Shelly and to Very Lazy Daisy and to Diane um, for your comments. So thank you, everybody, for talking to me. And now I've given you something to talk to me about again, I hope. So um, that's it for this episode. Again, thank you so much for your patience. I really appreciate it. And 
I am going to try to think through what an actual schedule could be and get it on my calendar because if I put it on my calendar, it tends to get done. If I don't have it on my calendar, it won't. And I am still working on, on setting up a couple of interviews um, that had to get set aside both because of my schedule and the interviewee's schedule, so hopefully we'll get those pulled off in the next few weeks. And we can have wonderful things to look ahead to in December and the new year. So I think I should get another episode out next week, she says. <laughs> After all of that, I will not get one out, of course, the week of Thanksgiving, um, but hopefully you'll hear from me shortly after that. In the meantime, you certainly have all sorts of wonderful things you can be doing, including listening to other folks' podcasts. Everybody else has been quite busy. So if you do choose to talk to me, you know how you can get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, Flickr, um, all of those places. I am Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. I am also that on Craftsy, but you can't actually search for people on Craftsy yet. That is the only thing I don't like about Craftsy. Uh, you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Facebook, or you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group in Flickr. Please do. I love looking at your pictures. And of course, as I said at the outset of this podcast episode, you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good. And you will find links for all of that at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And until the next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.